Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. This week, Ken Loach delivers Sorry We Missed You and joins us on the show to give us his dispatch on its production. Plus, with Dr. Sleep, we return to the Overlook Hotel in search of a shining example of a horror sequel. I'm Jake Cunningham, and joining me for the winter months as custodian to this fine podcast booth, uh, I've welcomed the guests Kelly Powell. Hello. Ella Kemp. Hi. And emerging from room 237, <laughs> Sam Howlett. And a nice soak in the bath. Yes. Oh, you're looking rejuvenated. Your Thank skin. You. Mm, wonderful. It's falling Never... off my bones. Yes. Well, that's what a good moisturizer will do for you. <laughs> All right. Um, so a couple of interesting films to talk about this week. We will start with Doctor Sleep and a long-awaited sequel to The Shining, both the book and the film. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam, you've been lucky enough to see this one. Sure. What is this one about? So uh, for those of us wondering what happens to young Danny Torrance after the events of The Shining, your question has now been answered. So uh, 30 or 40 years after the events of The Shining, Danny has grown up into Ewan McGregor, uh, lucky him. And uh, he is now still trying to get over the events of what happened at the Overlook Hotel and also struggling with alcoholism. And he's trying to use his his shining powers for good, working in a hospice, sort of easing the elderly towards death. Meanwhile, a cult has emerged called the True Knot, who also have the shining, and they use their power to find other people with the shining, but kind of drain the life out of them to rejuvenate them. And they travel around the country doing this. They are headed up by Rebecca Ferguson, who plays the villain of the film called Rose the Hat. Also happening is another young girl who has The Shining, but she has this sort of the most powerful level of The Shining, and she is wanted by this cult and reaches out to Danny for help. Okay. It took me a while as you were explaining that because I'd forgotten that The Shining is like the psychological mm. power. That is, and I was, ima- you say I was that. imagining yeah. like like a VHS copy of The Shining and then a DVD copy and then you're like, she's got the superpower version so she's got like a Blu-ray yeah. copy of The Shining. <laughs> Why this is kind of interesting as like a sequel to the film and to the book is that the Stephen King book, The Shining, is way more concerned with the fact that Danny has uh, like telepathic powers and that's why it's called The Shining because that's what um, the chef in the hotel calls it, The Shining, that people that shine have this power. Whereas the Kubrick film is way more concerned with the fact that Jack Nicholson is going mad and this film is very much... So this film 
So there is a book, Dr. Sleep, that Stephen King wrote about 10 years ago as a sequel to his book, The Shining. And this film is an adaptation of that book, but changes have been made to the book in order for it to fit more in with the Kubrick film. So it's a real kind of meeting of the two. And I think the director, Mike Flanagan, has done a really good job at that. Yeah, um, let's do a quick recap on Mike Flanagan. Uh, I really like him as a director. I think Gerald's Game is humongous fun. Yeah. Uh, really good little gory, tight horror. Uh, hit the Haunting of Hill House, which is this uh, 10-part Netflix series. Uh, it's a fantastic ghost story. And But he, throughout all his films, he, he just has this issue or he doesn't quite know how to stick the landing, which is a very Stephen King thing to do. So in a way, <laughs> he, he's perfect for this. Well, he... For, he's pretty much exclusively made horror films so he uh, he broke out with Oculus which if you haven't seen is a really good little horror film starring Karen Gillan um, so he did that, he did a film called Hush which is on Netflix, he did Gerald's Game, he did as you say The Haunting of Hill House Ouija 2 or yeah, so even is... so throughout all of these things these films are scary but he's way more concerned with telling a good story and having really interesting characters than he is making a scary film and that doesn't sacrifice the scares because these things are scary. Like if anyone who's seen Hill House, that is terrifying. But it's way more focused on who are these characters, what is the past of these characters. All these films are obsessed with past. They all pretty much have flashbacks. And Doctor Sleep fits really well in with that, where it's a scary film, but at the heart of it is a character who's going through post-traumatic stress disorder. He's going through uh, struggling with his alcoholism and sort of reconciling with his past to save the life of a, a girl and... I think he is the perfect fit mm. for this job. So uh, as you you and I are members of the Flan base, mm. we were very happy to see him announced as the director of this. Um but it, it's not like Mike Flanagan is a household name at all. Mm. Like he's he's in a, like like a horror director for hire, but just really solid. Mm. And so no one's coming to Doctor Sleep to think I've got to see that new Mike Flanagan film. Yeah. They're coming to it for a shining sequel. Shining sequel. Kelly, you you are not as big on Flanagan as Sam and I, uh, you're coming to this one straight as uh, a, or a King fan, Kubrick fan, Shining fan. Yeah. And how does it work for you coming at it from that way? Um. So, yeah, I didn't know anything about him. And I, obviously I've heard about um, how good The Haunting of Hill House is. Um, but I'm not a horror person, so it's not my genre. Um, although I really do love The Shining. Um, haven't seen it in many years. And so come, I came at this completely like, I didn't rewatch The Shining. I kind of just was like, I'm really in, interested to see what the story is, where the story is going to go. I, I hadn't read the books either, so I, I really didn't know. And I really enjoyed this film. Um, I feel like it's a really good stand, like it's, it holds its own. Um, but obviously tips its hat to to Kubrick um, in many ways. Yet it doesn't it doesn't go too much down the nostalgia hole. It like it 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 shows you you know where it's come from, but it's definitely its own movie. I think it has a, a very different tone and pace mm. to the Kubrick film. Um, yeah, and it's obviously yes, yeah, dealing with different characters and it's 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 a it's a solid little story. Stephen King famously does not like the adaptation of The Shining. I think um, he has warmed to it in recent years, but because I'm sure it's helped him out. <laughs> yeah. I mean <laughs> for a few decades. I've I've read the original book and I've seen the film The Shining and they they're really different. I think they're very different in terms of their stories, but also different in terms of the tone, I think. That film is almost 
has got a warm the book has a warmth to it that the film does not have of the shining that's actually quite a cold film when you think about the shining and even the fact that it's spo- quite cold spo- you say. yeah because <laughs> it's winter but spoiler danny and his mum survived the shining but even that in the film doesn't really feel like a victory for them it feels like it's when they escape it's a very kind of cold escape if you know what i mean it's very unemotional whereas this film it's winter because it's winter uh this film has more of the warmth i think Mike Flanagan really loves Danny as a character and that's something that's again like I said has gone with him from all his films he wants you to really love these characters and like in Hill House you really fall in love with the family and when horrible things are happening to them it's not just fun it's actually quite horrible and affecting to the viewer that you're watching these people that you've come to really like that when these bad things are happening to them it makes it even even worse and Doctor Sleep has this thing as well where the horror isn't just fun. The scares aren't fun. It's actually Mike Flanagan's treating them like like real people, and that's where I think he's sort of crossing the bridge between the King book and the Kubrick film. And so when the film, this is in the trailer and everything, revisits the Overlook Hotel, there are a lot of Shining references, and I think some people might roll their eyes at some of the bits. Like there is a bit where Ewan McGregor looks through the cracking the door. And recreates the Here's Johnny shot. Mm. That's the poster as well. That's the, the poster the, the, as well, yeah. Thing. So there's stuff like that. And I found that really fun, actually. Like, I think it's really, it was really kind of exhilarating when the, the theme to The Shining kicks in towards the end of the film. Great. And uh, it recreates some of the shots. And he's walking around that, that famous carpet. And he walks past room 237. And we know something's bad in there. And all that stuff, and he goes into the ballroom, and you hear that. And I just felt really, I'm really, really, really enjoying this. And even though you've had this entirely different story up until now, suddenly that gives it a lot of energy. And I walked out with quite a big smile on my face. So more like keeping you, Doctor, awake. Exactly. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited to watch this Mm. film. Uh, I'm super up for it. Uh, it's out on Halloween. Yeah, Perfect. this is the Halloween film of this year. Okay, so that is Doctor Sleep, which is out in cinemas. So do go and check that one out if you can. Definitely one if uh, if you're fans of those Mike Flanagan vehicles we mentioned. But obviously, if you want to carry on that shining story, then do mm. head out to that one as well. Uh, but we must move on and talk to Ken Loach about his new film, Sorry We Missed You, um, which sees him once again team up with the I. Daniel Blake screenwriter Paul Laverty uh, for another indictment of the capitalist forces shaping modern Britain. This one is about Ricky, who's dreaming of better things for his family when he becomes a delivery van driver. But he is an independent contractor, as he's told. So he's working in unsparing conditions, just like his wife, Abby, who's a care nurse, both of them on zero hour contracts. And uh, so they're living like this and they're within their means. They're pushed to the brink and their world gradually falls apart when their teenage son starts to go off the rails. So this is a new collaboration between Paul Laverty and Ken Loach. Uh, they'd recently done I, Daniel Blake, and they'd certainly ta- they're tackling a, a subject that people may seem feel like is similar to that film, and they'll certainly draw parallels between them. Um, but this is something new. This is a subject that maybe people don't know a lot about, and I think it's it's great to see Ken Loach delving into it. Ella, you'd had, had a bit of time to mull this one over now. Um, what, your, what were your initial thoughts to Sorry We Missed You? Um, so I, I quite liked I, Daniel Blake. I, I wasn't that familiar with Ken Loach before and I found it in, incredibly affecting, um, very upsetting and illuminating and all those things. 
I don't know, I've had a similar reaction to Sorry We, we Missed You. Um, I didn't know much about the subject matter at all. And, and yeah, I think it's a, very, a really interesting and important area of, of, of Britain to shine a light on, but also the idea of the zero-hour contract and the gig economy, that's, like, everywhere, and so many people are, you know, freelance and just on their own and having to fight and, you know, when the world falls apart, but it actually doesn't, so yours does, but everything else has to keep running, and I think it's it's really, it's a really difficult task to capture that, how everything is still running, and everything is just very calm and normal, even though for this microcosm of people just like the worst possible things um have happened and there's a balance here that I haven't seen many other directors ever try attempt or succeed to to pull off really so yeah it really got me Mm. and Sam you were lucky enough to talk to Ken about this one I did yeah uh really nice to sit down with Ken who's one of the you know most influential most famous British directors of all time uh we spoke about about his relationship with Paul Laverty we spoke about his desire to tell this film and return to filmmaking after he retired a few years ago and um, just about the world of filmmaking in general. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We're delighted to welcome Ken Loach to the Curzon Podcast. Hello. Hello. Thanks Hello. for joining us. Um, so... I interviewed Paul Laverty a few years ago, uh, the writer of the film, and he spoke about being a lawyer and how his screenplays are very much like an argument for him. Can you talk to us about what the argument you and Paul are making with Sorry We Missed You? Um, Well, I'd say it's more of an exploration than an argument. Okay. Um, An exploration of a a family and the circum the the circumstances they live in and the circum and the choices they have and the choices they have are determined by the work mum mm-hmm. and dad do. Um and dad's a so called self employed van driver. Yeah. For delivering what you've earned uh, you've you've ordered online. And mum's a care worker who might come and look after your granny or your mum mm-hmm. uh, dad and when they're living on their own. And um both their jobs are precarious. They need both incomes to survive, um, and they they work they work long hours, maybe twelve hours a day, mm-hmm. um, and they they've got no guaranteed income. Their mum's on zero hours. They say dad's supposed to be an, an entrepreneur, but mm. actually he's just a plain driver. Yeah, um, and they're not there for the kids, and and the pressure and the stress 
comes into the family, centers in the family, um, and that's that's the the problem. So the the lads, the teenage lad, is getting in trouble with the police, mm-hmm. um, and the um, the little girl becomes a peacemaker. Mm. But the whole family gets fractured. Mm. But it's a good family, you know. It's a good family. So it's the story of them. It's a story, mm-hmm. really, of, of that family. And I think this works quite well as a companion piece to I, Daniel Blake. Um, can you talk about how this kind of sprung off from the back of that film? When we were doing Daniel Blake, the we went to food banks. Um, yeah. In the food banks, there were many working poor. People in jobs where they couldn't support themselves because the wages were so low. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we thought, that's that's extraordinary. People working and they still can't afford to mm. feed their family. What's going on? And so that led us into the whole issue of precarious work. Um, and we felt that um, this family could live around the corner from Daniel Blake mm. and, or, and Katie in that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they could be neighbours. And Newcastle's a... We thought we would, in a way, link them stylistically at the okay. beginning and in the the kind of scale of the film and the intimacy of the film. I hope, um, but it's two sides of the same yeah. society. Um, so you came back from an announced retirement to do Daniel Blake. Did you think that when you came back with Daniel Blake that that would then be your last film, or was there a real sort of renewed energy for you, a real renewed desire to keep telling these stories? Um, well, the, the desire to tell the stories never goes away. It's just right. when you when you when you're knocking on a bit, you've got to be <laughs> careful um, what you plan. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, we uh, managed to get through this one, so yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see. Okay, um, I find the uh, relationship you have with Paul Haverty really interesting, and it's something that's really sort of dominated the second half of your career. Can you talk about mm-hmm. that relationship and how that working relationship works between you and Paul? Um, well, we're, we're we're good friends, first of yep. all, um, and um, share the same view of the world and the same same things make us laugh, same mm-hmm. things make us angry. Um, and uh, so it's been a real um, joy for me, really. I guess I'd have packed up a lot earlier if you'd, <laughs> you know, without this working mm. relationship. Um, so it's... I, I mean, the 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 this films emerge from a, like an ongoing conversation about what's important, mm. and what we find interesting, and what are the stories that actually yeah. have to be told, and um, then Paul will sketch a character or two, and we talk about that, and then he'll do a first draft, and we knock it backwards and forwards, and and so on really. But he comes to as much of the shooting as he can. Right. And, is there for the end, you know, the key casting thing. So we, 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 we kind of share the process. Okay. And in terms of casting, then you've you've stuck with very much sort of uh, unknown actors for the film. Can you talk about that casting process and what you're kind of looking for in each of these performers? Um, well, next to the script, the um, the the bringing people to finding people who will bring it to life is 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 the most important decision. Mm. And uh, in our case, we want somebody who you will believe is a man driver, yeah. and somebody who you will believe is a care worker, and kids who are really from that part, that that place. So um, th- th- there's a real test for finding people who mm-hmm. are authentic, um, and uh, we see lots of people. We see um, 
see actors and people have done some acting and mm -hmm. maybe people haven't done much at all and and out of that you find the very best person okay people um so i'm interested in that your films are really you know well known for having a sort of social conscious heart and that's something that's stayed with you throughout your career what are the films and filmmakers that are working today that you kind of feel share this view of you that you should use cinema to kind of tell these kind of stories and have this um, kind of political message to their filmmaking? Um, I, I, I guess we always slightly um, recoil from t calling them with a political message because right. that, that sounds ultimately boring. <laughs> um, I mean, they, they've got to be stories about people. The yeah. people have got to engage you. You know, It's got to be something you recognise and not feel got at. I mean, mm -hmm. it should just should just be a story uh, you, you want you enjoy being he sure. hearing and seeing. Um, and I think that it's, it's difficult to pick out one or two names because then I'll, I'll forget other good people. <laughs> um, but the, the, the problem is, that, and I think there are more who would like to make mm. films connected to the way the world is than are doing it. Um, I mean, and we all work in different mm. ways. I mean, Mike Lee obviously is an old old friend and works in a very different way, but is interested in the same kind of area. Um, there's a very good Chilean director called Patricio Guzman who mm -hmm. who did brilliant films in about his country. Um, God, my mind always goes blank, and the, the, I I, th I think that if, if I got a, a a better short-term memory. I'll sure, be reading sure. off half a dozen names, but so it's difficult. But um, and of course, everyone is different. And um, but I think the problem is that people who decide who and make what films are made are not the filmmakers. Mm. It's the investors. It's the studio heads. It's the distributors. So yeah. So there are more filmmakers who'd like to work in a you know telling contemporary yeah. stories based on real life than actually are made okay i think there's probably a perception out there that the more films you make the easier it is to make the films you want to make uh is that something you found in your career like is it easier for you to get these kind of films off the ground these days or do you still mm -hmm. find that there's a bit of pushback against telling these kinds of stories well we've been lucky because i think we've got a little niche now you know right. where, and so long as the i mean the films have to they have to get their money back mm -hmm. and you know and make a little bit of um something other people have invested in them yeah. so we couldn't continue if if the films kept make losing money mm. um and they're um they're not expensive films to make um a lot of what money that is spent on films i think is silly it's, it's just mm. wasted i mean you know lines of caravans and lines <laughs> of portaloos and you know all that sort of silly indulgence is actually destructive so so we work very simply, mm -hmm. um, but everyone's on proper union contracts. But but we, it's it's inexpensive filmmaking. It helps, you know, because then you don't have to recoup so much. Yeah, and what sort of state do you think the British film industry is in at the moment? I can never judge the British film industry. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel I feel on the edge of it always, right. um, and always have been. And um, you know, it all it's it carries on. It looks across the Atlantic. I wish it could would look across the Channel. Um, I think um, American filmmaking is is here because mm. they like want to work with the technicians, but they occupy our space, and we we need to tell our own stories, you know, not not just be hacks for 
so I shouldn't say hacks, but not not just not just skilled workers mm. for for American ideas and American profit. Mm. So I, I, I wish our film industry were more independent. I wish it wasn't so colonized by the Americans, and I wish it would look across to Europe. Okay, great. Ken Loach, thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Cheers. Pleasure. Okay, so uh, sorry we missed you. As, as I mentioned just on the synopsis before we left there, um, is about Ricky and his family, and Ricky's just taking this job, um, working jarringly for a company called PDF, <laughs> which I, I couldn't stop thinking how, about. How have I not realised that? Yeah. Six months. I know. Um, but they, they, they're like a, a, a DPD parcel force type company. So he gets this job there. It's initially everything everything's bright and sunny, um, but we as an audience member can kind of see him digging a hole that he's not aware of, that he's just saying yes to stuff because he, he needs the job and he's enthusiastic about it. So he's selling the family car so he can buy a van that he can do these deliveries in. But that's his own van. It's not a company van. Well, he's also kind of pitched it by the boss, isn't he? He's kind of pitched that you are not working for me, you're working for yourself. This is a investment. This is, you are technically, you are an entrepreneur. You are... You're working for yourself. You do your own hours. You do your own thing. And this is obviously sounds really great for someone who's been grafting for so many years. Mm. But, but he's yeah. he's not. He is just working for someone. Yeah. Um, but, but without, without any the benefits. benefits. Yeah. yeah. Um, there there is no contract for him. He is he has to pay for everything. There's no expenses or anything yeah. like that. Anything goes wrong, he's got to fork out the bill for it. Um, so, like this is. Perhaps something that we encounter almost on a daily basis when when we go and send something in the post or, or do some online shopping, receive something at the mm-hmm. door, and um, like we might sign a little electronic pad. That thing is valued at a thousand pounds and is something that again goes into his ownership. That breaks, mm-hmm. he's got to buy it, and so we have this opening kind of fifteen minutes setting us up of the rules of the game here, mm-hmm. and ultimately we know that. This is this will fall apart, um, but and it does so in quite a quite a horrible fashion. Um, and I think it does. The film does really well to introduce us to a world that I think a lot of audience members are going to feel like they're familiar with, like they know about this stuff. But giving you exactly the details, those minute details about the costs of things, about how the contracts work, about it making you really feel like a member of the working team in this environment so that when things do crumble, it you feel it on a very personal level um, because you it's been very well crafted as to how this machine has been built to mm. ruin this man. Yeah, and it and it's also it also shows you how there's no empathy or there's no like human to human <laughs> relation. Like some obviously lots of stuff happens to the family, but at one point you know Ricky sits down with Maloney the the bus, who's this hard ass you know, what does he call himself? The, the patron saint of nasty bastards. Yeah, that's what he calls himself, and he's just like you know he he he. Uh, he he begs him basically for some time off to deal with what's happening at home, and the the response is like this long monologue that that Maloney sort of spews, and the bottom line is that like yeah he doesn't care, um, and if he can't work, he's got to find someone to replace him. Yeah, and, like, like, this is the mad thing that you're sold this idea of 
you're a freelancer, you're yeah. an entrepreneur, um, which in a way you would feel like, right, so that means that I am in control of my time as well. So mm-hmm. if I were, if I needed to take a week because my son in this example has been um, bad at school and has been told that he has to stay at home for a week, mm. uh, so I need that time off. But not only can I not take that time off, every day that I do take that off, I owe this person money mm. as well. Um and it, it's astonishing. Like, it seems, like, cartoonishly evil. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is just shocking, the the fact that it is real, and the fact, when you think about it, how many people out there are doing this job and mm. how many people will have experienced exactly this. Because this is not a crazy thing. Like, yeah. Paul Laverty has been out there and has done the research, yeah. as, we, as he did with I Daniel Blake. These are all based on real experiences, and it's, it is just shocking. Yeah, it's just so indicative of the system that just doesn't care about people. People are expendable um, in this capitalist world we live in, and it's really sad. Mm. Um, and we've we've kind of focused on Ricky there, um, but we should we should mention uh, other members of his family, particularly Abby, who's played by Debbie Honeywood, um, and so she's a care nurse, and she is on another similar non-existent contract of having to do this work, and not only that, because of the exploitation of Ricky, uh, she's lost her car as well. Mm-hmm. And so, like, both of them are just heading down this route that is not going to end well, yeah. um, whilst the but, like the kids are going off the rails too. I think the fact that both, um, both Ricky and Abby are in this similar situation across different professions makes it so much more um, believable and impactful the way that this is such a universal and unfair thing that affects everyone. And yet they both have to deal with very, very similar injustices to raise this family where just you'd think it would be easier when your partner's going through the same thing, but they're both pushed into their own corners. And yeah, there's this very interesting balance between the way that Kenlock and Paul Laverty direct with this sense of compassion and great care but to to highlight how selfish and cruel and like isolating all of these situations are and I think having that through a family where every one of um, the members is affected does achieve something different to what I Daniel Blake did because in that film I felt a lot more like this is this it's this woman she's on her own and you know all these things are happening and I think I felt like it was much more about each individual person just completely um, on their own. But here there's a very interesting dynamic and balance between everyone fighting the same things but dealing with different little... Yeah, you see those those waves of uh, interaction and how how the events will kind of have a domino effect on every member of this family. but it's well worth seeking out. I think there's some really good performances in there. Chris, like, uh, as with other Ken Loach films, there's a lot of unknown people here. Um, Chris Hitchin, who's uh, Ricky in the lead, is excellent. Uh, you mentioned Maloney, who's the the nasty bastard boss, who is actually he's really good in that role. Yeah, like, first time actor. Yeah, mm. uh, excellent. Um, and so do go and check that one. Out. That that is going to be in well, that's in cinemas. Um, and there's a few Ken Loach films up on Cousin Home Cinema. Yeah, you as can well. check out some of his old back catalogue on Cousin Home Cinema if you search for Ken Loach. And uh, you can also check out uh, films from the past few weeks that are still in cinemas. So, By the Grace of God, which we reviewed last week and spoke to the film's director, Francois Ozon, incredible film, and uh, Olivia Assayas's non fiction. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, so do go and check those out as well as, as we mentioned, Doctor Sleep and Sorry We Missed You, which are in cinemas now. And if you've got any thoughts on those films, you can let us know uh, about them by tweeting at Curzon Cinemas. Um, we're all there individually as well. I'm on Twitter as Jake H. Cunningham. Kelly, you are there as? KS underscore Powell. Uh, Sam Howler underscore one. Ella underscore Kemp. And if it's your first time listening to the show, you can subscribe. You can do that on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And whilst you're there, if you could leave us a review or a comment, that'd be absolutely wonderful. Um, but until then, we did a, did a little roundup last time, didn't we? So we'll do that again, shall we? All right. So that's bye from me. Goodbye. Bye from Kelly. Goodbye. Goodbye. Woo! Nice. <laughs> well done. That's good. good. Yeah. Appreciate that, Mark. Uh, you can put that at the end. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.